1: Bring in show music,
0: please. This is SquawkPod, and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. On today's episode, OpenAI co-founder and CEO Sam Altman deciding how ChatGPT will change our world.
1: I think getting this right, figuring out the new society that we want to build, how we're going to integrate this technology, is, I think, one of the most important questions of our time.
0: Altman responds to calls for an AI pause from fellow technologists, including former board member Elon Musk.
1: I understand where people who sign that are coming from, and I understand the very real cause for anxiety about the speed with which things are moving. But I think that in particular is an unnuanced policy.
0: That huge interview, Apple's big iPhone sales, and what else AI can do?
2: You can say, let's build an app. Let's build the Squawk app and just do
3: it right now. What would the Squawk app do?
0: Plus, where in the world is Becky Quick? Hint, she's about to see Warren Buffett, along with about 30,000 other people. This is the calm before the storm, guys. We're pre-gaming the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting in Omaha, Nebraska. It's May 5th, happy Cinco de Mayo, and Squawk Pod begins right now.
2: Stand, Andrew, bye. In three, two, one, cue Anders. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. But Becky is reporting live this morning. A huge weekend ahead. She's in Omaha, Nebraska. What is, what's going on in Omaha, Nebraska? Becky Quake.
4: Oh, Andrew, you know the routine. I mean, we've done this enough years, but uh, it's building, and it is here. Right now we're on the floor of the convention center, and this is where all of the uh, different units of Berkshire set up, or a lot of them. They have to fight, actually, to get space here. But a lot of the units are here. We're right next to Dairy Queen. I see Sees Candy just across. We've got BNSF, the railway, has a huge exhibit down here, and it's got the train set up. There's a race car behind me with, with Duracell. And right here on the ground, still not blown up right now, right behind me. You're looking at the, the the minibus that's up front. But right behind me is the gecko, but he's deflated right now. He's not up and he's not ready to go, but he will be later today. They're going to open this convention hall. And at that point, we expect more than 40,000 people coming in. Uh, Warren Buffett telling us that they've given out more tickets than they ever have before. So 40,000 is kind of where they are. I think they've given out about 20 percent more tickets than they have in years past. Now, they give out more tickets than people actually come because some of those tickets actually can be used at places like the Nebraska Furniture Mart for shopping. And so there's a lot of uh, them that go out in, in Omaha particularly. But this year, they were from countries all around the globe, all around the states. At least 100 tickets went out to every one of the 50 states. So Lots of people expected here. This is known as Woodstock for capitalists. Shareholders are gathering here today, and like I said, they'll open the doors at noon. And this is a big shopping bonanza. Um, they have a very cool thing this year: um, squishmallows. Do you guys know what squishmallows are, Andrew? You probably no. do because you have young kids. I don't know. You don't what a either. Okay, Joe. I don't know if you've heard I of think. these.
2: Do I know what a squishmallow is? All right, what is they're it?
4: big, squishy. If you saw them, you would are probably you know. Are you going to bring me one?
3: Squ- on the plane.
4: Yeah, if I can, but they have limits set on these things. They they now own Jazzwares, which is a company that has a lot of different toys. It was a company that they bought, that they acquired when they got Allegheny. It was just one of the little companies they weren't thinking about. It's a really cool thing, and they have squishmallows here on the floor. Uh, look, at, look them up. I, I, I don't think I'm allowed can to show you. Can you eat them? Look them up. They're big, squishy. No, 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 no. no. They they're, they're sound like marshmallows because they're squishy, but they're... they're they're yeah, stuffed f- animals. Uh, Big, I'm obsessed with. Oh, stuffed I see what
3: things. a squishmallow is. I'm thinking about food. I, I got it because of Dairy Queen <laughs> and cheesecake. Is there all the, But is there a Warren the Buffett?
2: the grill and chill
4: right next to me. Yes. Is there a
2: Warren Buffett squishmallow? That's what
4: I. Am I allowed I think, to say anything? No. I. I we're gonna go check it out embargoed. later on. That's imbar-
2: That's emb. That's okay. Are there ref- well, if there happen to be? You know, I'm in the market.
3: That's for, all. For that's what? all I'm saying. Just in case well, I'm in the in market for, th- I'm in the market for C's candies, so I uh, don't you don't need I don't need okay. a special so I know how to you about, get to
4: each of your hearts
3: let me ask you about the Dairy Queen uh, Set about that are there mm-hmm. refrigerators
4: yes they have freezers set up because you can get dilly bars you can get that's the orange with the cream so peel I, ones
3: that would be a, yeah. I, I don't know if I'd go I, I, I might not be at the Norfolk Southern place for very long uh, I, I think I might <laughs> wow that's kinda <laughs> nice I might uh yeah I might camp out right at the, at the Dairy Queen. They've gotten fancier over the years too about the way that they've done the setup. Absolutely.
4: Yeah, this is a huge huge shopping weekend for all the guys and for all of the different uh, companies that come here. Now, Oriental Trading is back here. Um, the
3: Gecko Becky you know, is is the, deflated well, what earnings are bad Boots or something leader. what's wrong with him? He's <laughs> Well, that's partially
2: true too. That's a separate shot Just straight
4: behind me. Nobody's Higher property yet, so casualty. Is complete, Why is it deflated? Is completely. Well, no. Depressed? Um, because it's early. This is the calm before the storm, guys. Tomorrow, CNBC and CNBC.com are going to be the only places that you can watch live coverage of the annual meeting. This will all be taking place as Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger take to the stage to answer questions that have come in from shareholders for more than five hours. It all starts tomorrow. The questions start at 10 a.m. Eastern time. You can catch though our pre-show. You can see it on cnbc.com. The pre-game at 9:45 Eastern time.
3: Shares of uh, Apple are rising this morning, but are roughly flat uh, for the week. Earnings beat estimates thanks to stronger than expected iPhone sales. Steve Kovac joins us now from San, uh, CNBC San Francisco bureau. You know, Steve, you, you wear glasses, but you'll see. I' both of us, Andrew and I are both having some trouble looking at close-up, and I kept looking at the quarterly sales number and trying to figure out, does that really say 94 billion dollars? Uh, yeah is that, a, is that a nine or a one? So that that is just I mean, does that not and that was below that was down from last year. but what a right. number. I mean what a number? And only this doesn't happen often, two straight quarters of down comparisons, but still well above what, what the street was looking for, right?
5: Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And I think the theme, Joe, here is those results were better than if feared. But look, don't expect to see growth at Apple again anytime soon. That's the overall theme that we're getting out of these quarterly reports. Now, like you said, it was a beat on the top and bottom lines driven by stronger than expected iPhone sales. They were up one and a half percent and hit a record for the March quarter at Apple. Now, I talked to Tim Cook yesterday after those earnings and I asked him what drove those iPhone sales. He told me it was a mix of China reopening and a carryover of demand from the holiday quarter after they missed so many sales after those factory shutdowns in China. But look, everyone is waiting for the guidance, and Apple sales are guided to fall again for the third quarter in a row, Apple implying a 2 or 3% revenue drop here for the June quarter. Meantime, there was some growth in services. That's up 5.5%. But max sales, that is a real sore spot, down 31%. That comes again Again, amid a PC slump and some really tough compares from a year ago when they had some big launches in the Mac business. By the way, I also asked Tim Cook the AI question and about Apple's role moderating AI apps in the App Store. Because, look, if problems arise with these AI apps... Apple is actually one of the major gatekeepers if it has to update App Store policies to keep up with these. So Tim Cook told me, look, Apple's always looking at App Store policies and being thoughtful over the issues that may come up, and they're not ruling out changes. He told me they're asking themselves all the time if they should change App Store policies, including around AI, and that's a really important way to think about Apple and AI beyond anything they might make, like a generative AI Siri or anything related to that, because if big problems are A apps like we've seen in social media. Apple can be the gatekeeper. We've seen what they've done to Facebook,
2: guys. Hey, hey Steve, can I ask, you know, we're going to be talking to Sam Altman later, and the more I've been spending time with ChatGPT and thinking about AI more broadly, the more I actually think it actually could disrupt the entire app store, actually. Because right now you're going to these very individual places, and in the future I would imagine you just ask the question, And you'd get the answer.
5: Well, it's not even just about that, uh, Andrew. It's also about developing apps because these technologies, excuse me, makes it easier for people like me who don't even know how to code to actually code. So just imagine, Andrew, that you have a great idea great idea for an app that you don't really know how to make, but you can talk to an app like ChatGPT and it'll make it for you. A lot of people see this as actually a
2: boon for the app store right. in the sense that it'll open up development to more think that normal the people. But inter- if you think that the future interface, interface of everything saying, yeah. is a chat or some kind of, you know, the equivalent of Siri, I mean, maybe they integrate Siri into it and somehow you would, you could see a reason why you wouldn't actually ever have to go to any of the various different, different apps themselves. The graphical interface, it wouldn't it would be a different situation, no?
5: Yeah, and, and people are talking about this, too. Remember the rise of Alexa back in you know, 2015, right. 2016? That was perceived as a kind of threat against Apple Siri. What if we don't even need screens anymore and we just talk to our, our computers? Still hasn't happened yet. Maybe it happens. I would also note that Apple has a very uh, prominent AI gu- uh, pr- uh, leader, uh, John Gianandrea. He's in charge of Siri, and you know, there's always the option to turn Siri into one of these supercharged chatbots, for sure.
3: I don't know the stuff Siri still comes up with. Uh, it's like it seems like <laughs> they like needs some work. In, she's in first grade uh, in terms yes. of. I mean can't really obvious things. I mean that the, the, even a first grader could know what what you're saying and she comes up with the most I, I don't know. That's what that's what worries me. Uh but I can't you you can tell AI to write code, Steve, is yeah. that really? That's a big yeah. part of it, yeah. Of course you can. What do you mean of course you can? That's the whole that's, ha- that's half half of what
2: makes it so exciting, if not more.
3: I, that just Now
2: you can, now like, you can code, Joe. Now you, you, you can That's make an like app.
3: a second derivative for me, even thinking about it. Uh, uh, wow.
2: You can say, let's build an app. Let's build the Squawk app and just do it right now. What and would the Squawk app do?
3: We can discuss that and we can then go it. will deliver the food your seized
5: candy and Dairy Queen.
3: There you go. I'm, trying to, yeah, with I'm just trying to figure out. I mean, what about the, the dry ice in a cooler? Cheese will be next.
0: Up next on Squawk Pod, OpenAI co-founder and CEO Sam Altman, the entrepreneur behind ChatGPT on the value of this technology and the dangers.
1: I think human desire for feeling useful and, and status and differentiation and m- making incredible new things and creating is not gonna go anywhere no matter what technology we
6: develop.
0: Altman's AI meeting at the White House and his listening tour with Operation Hope's John Hope Bryant.
6: This is like going from from mankind to horses, and more probably more appropriately from horses, the transition to automobiles, which took 50 years to complete. This is probably going to happen in five years.
7: CEOs are in the business of making decisions, and it's the outcome of those decisions that define their success. Hi, I'm Sam Reese, CEO of Vistage. For more than 65 years, we've engaged with more than 100,000 executives on this twisting leadership journey that we call a life of climb. Join me on a Life of Climb podcast to hear firsthand stories from CEOs about the challenges they've overcome and the lessons they've learned along the way. Listen to a Life of Climb wherever you get your podcasts or at Vistage.com slash podcast.
5: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow. Today.
7: Pursue your tomorrow with P Jim, a leading global asset manager.
0: Welcome back to SquawkPod.
3: Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC spanning the well, not the globe, but the country anyway, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Andrew's here with me, but Becky uh, is out in Omaha, Nebraska at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. Uh, you must know all the haunts at this point uh, now, Becky. It, where the, on where the good places. On the to floor? Go- <laughs> Even Dairy the, the Queen, r- you mean? <laughs> restaurants? No, and you must you know Omaha oh. the, by, by now, don't you? Honestly, I
4: don't get out that much here. <laughs>
3: Right, that's I don't what I get mean. out that much. I, I mean, there's a few other places, that,
4: but I don't get out that
3: much. You realize, you've been there enough to realize there's no place to go, I think, basically. Right.
4: No, no, no. There are some really great restaurants. It's just every time uh, we're here, we're, we're, working. we're working pretty long hours. So okay. there, are, we, yeah, okay. there are certain places that we don't get far outside right.
2: of. Well, in the new world, when we have AI to deal with, there won't be. Nope. We'll do it in a different way. Uh, we've got a big interview uh, right now. CEOs involved in artificial intelligence development meeting with President Biden and Vice President Harris in Washington. The White House said that Biden told the CEOs they need to mitigate risks posed by AI to individuals, society, and national security. And joining us right now is one of those chief executives at the meeting, but perhaps maybe the most important in the whole space. OpenAI CEO Sam Altman is here. And we're also joined by Operation Hope founder and CEO John Hope Bryant. Last night, Sam and John kicked off a listening tour. Uh, across the United States focusing on AI's impact and dispelling some misconceptions about the technology to underrepresented groups and want to thank both of them for joining us this morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. So Sam um, and John, it's great to see you. Sam, want to start with you. Um, um, Before we get into what the implications are for society in a sort of broader way, I do want to talk to you a little bit about what took place at the meeting yesterday and what your personal takeaway was from the understanding or not uh, that folks in the White House and uh, folks in Washington have about this technology?
1: Look, our our mission is to figure out how to build these advanced AI systems and deploy them into society for maximum benefit, and that requires partnership with government and regulation. The companies can do a lot, and we talked about this yesterday, to get that started. But long-term, we will need governments, our government governments around the world, uh, to act and to put regulation in place and standards in place that make sure that we get as much of the good as possible of these, the, from these technologies and minimize the downsides. So the meeting was about that. I think it was a great start. Lots more to do.
2: You've been talking, uh, perhaps surprising to some, about the need for regulation, especially long term. But what's the distinction in your mind between whatever that long term regulation looks like, and I'd love to know what you think it should look like, and to the degree that there's going to be regulation in the shorter term, if you think that there is, what that will be or should be, and the challenges it may pose?
1: In the shorter term i think there's a a lot of issues that people are now discussing uh provenance of content is a good example and a big one right like we're how are we going to know what content is is real is is generated is from a human you need to know that you're talking to a human or an ai when it's one or the other i think you should so there's a class of things about that Uh, and then longer term as these systems become really really powerful i do think we will need some sort of international authority um, that is that is looking at the people building the most powerful systems and making sure that we are running evaluations for safety, getting external audits and red teaming, um, and sort of tracking what's what's happening. We do this for other very powerful technologies. I, I think AI will need to be one too.
2: Okay. So, but given how fast things are moving and how fast you're developing this technology, how much time do we actually have?
1: I think it's sort of like a, it's a spectrum. It's not like, you know, we're fine and then all of a sudden we need to have like this strong regulation in place. uh, I think we need to start thinking about the issues now and then over the next period of many years, we'll need to put increasingly rigorous regulation in place.
2: John, you know, you've been spending a lot of time thinking about underprivileged, uh, underserved markets, underserved people and the implications on jobs and things of that sort. And I'm curious where you think AI really is going to land. You know, we were actually talking about this just earlier this week that actually in an odd way, it may be that blue collar jobs actually become,
6: uh, you know, more valuable, oddly enough. Um, Maybe certain blue collar jobs. I can go. I can run you through certain occupations that may be at less risk uh, than others. We talked about that uh, last night here in Atlanta. Uh, We got into some level of detail, but I think there's no avoiding that this is what I call the third reconstruction—I've said it on your show before—it's the, you know, fourth industrial uh, revolution. It's uh, this is this is this was like going from from mankind to horses, and more probably more appropriately from horses, the transition to automobiles, which took 50 years to complete. This is probably going to happen in five years, uh, Andrew, and it's it's going to disrupt um, the lives of 100 million uh, working families. Uh, uh, you know, uh, between now and twenty thirty, and if we do it right, there, there'll be another hundred million or plus jobs that come in, and we'll train them properly. If we do it wrong, it won't just be black and brown people who have pain; it'll be my poor white brothers and sisters. This is like Dr. King all over again in the civil rights movement, where he talked to all of God's children about, what I call the color green. Um, it's, it's, just, this is. Last night was probably one of the most important meetings I hosted ever um, because of the implications. I, am I'm very hopeful because a guy like Sam is on point and Sam and I, Sam called me and said, let's do this meeting. It wasn't my idea. It was his. We had talked about it, but he took the initiative to go from the White House to our house was quite dramatic. Sam, you, you've been working on this on chat GPT
2: on one end, but also talking about the need for universal basic income on the other. How intertwined are those two ideas? Somewhat, but I, I think it's
1: important to say that although I think universal basic income is an interesting policy and well worth exploring, it is only a partial solution. I think people will still need all of the other reasons that they work. and and there will be plenty of jobs and all sorts of new, you know new ways we spend our time, new ways we create value for each other. I think human desire for feeling useful and and status and differentiation and m- making incredible new things and creating is not going to go anywhere, no matter what technology we develop. But I think if we can eliminate poverty with a better policy than we have now, and if we have a new way to share the tremendous wealth we're all about to create, uh, I'm very interested in that. I just don't think it's the whole solution. I do think they're intertwined.
2: Hey, Sam, what did you think when you saw that Elon Musk had signed uh, that letter saying that there should be a six-month sort of pause or or moratorium on the development of AI? Uh, Well, I don't think the letter called for a pause on development, it
1: called for a pause in one direction of development, which is sort of scaling up the, the biggest models. Um, I, I understand where people who signed that are coming from, and I understand the very real cause for anxiety about the speed with which things are moving. Um, but I think that in particular is an unnuanced policy. And what we should talk about instead is what sort of evals and practices and systems and technology development do we need in place to ensure continued safety?
2: One of the reasons I asked is because, of course, he, he, he co founded this with you and now seems to be on the other side competing with you, right? Uh, yeah, as far as I understand it. So, w- what is that relationship like now? Fine. <laughs>
1: I, I mean, you uh, know, uh, people uh, do this stuff, sort of. Uh,
3: so, say I get, I have anxiety about near term uh concerns with AI which which we talk about in our our you know right before face but I also just can't help myself think years in advance and not necessarily to the singularity but when machines become really 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 powerful and we, we don't really understand at that point what might happen and you've seen some of the you know the end of humanity type uh, fears that that have been expressed by some pretty t- smart people. Could we build in a safeguard to make sure 20, 30, 40 years from now that that humans aren't completely superfluous to to machines? Is that something that you've thought about? I, I mean, I've read some science fiction. Is it impossible?
1: I mean, the reason that we started this effort um, is because of these questions. I think getting this right figuring out this society the new society that we want to build how we're going to integrate this technology is i think one of the most important questions of our time and i'm very happy to be here with john starting this this tour uh because figuring out how we want to build this for people that are not just sort of the people in the bay area figuring out what people want this new world to look like how the technology should work how we should set the rules around it, how we want to use it how how we how we do the thing that works for the you know the people of the world as a whole, figuring that out now is really important. You know, We can decide anything we want. We collectively society, not we open AI. Um, there will be regulation, there will be many different versions of this that work, uh, and we will have over the in the coming years a very rigorous discussion about how we're going to integrate this technology into our lives. And we can build in all sorts of safeguards, we can build in all sorts of rules, but if we don't have this discussion, with a very broad group of people, um, we will build something that a small slice of humanity wants, rather than what humanity as a whole wants.
6: Hey, Andrew, John. yes, go ahead. I was about to say that. Look, you mentioned a name uh, that's been, you know, observant of what Sam's doing. I think if they th- were doing it themselves, they would probably trust th- themselves to do it now. And I su- I trust Sam to do it now. I think there's a little competitive envy going on here, which is to be expected. Sam has something that a lot of tech leaders don't have, I say this very respectfully, he's got IQ and EQ. Um, some leaders uh, have a blind spot called people. And we're not human doings, we're human beings. and uh, which is really what Joe was referring to. We're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. Energy and people matter. And we don't do this exactly right. We're not listening to the right people in the right ways. Uh, we will win the battle and lose the war. We do this right and we... We we, we we pushed the whole, uh, uh, really, civilization forward. Uh, we had to bring everybody with us. I think that right. Sam reaching Sam's the only tech leader I'm aware of that went into the underserved community ever with a new uh, technology like this to listen and not just talk and say, help me make this better, almost like a moral bill of rights, which is what, what this is. Pro- we probably need that as much as we need regulation. Right. And I think that this community can help him do that.
2: Hey Sam, a question because I think it's one on the the top of minds of probably every business leader. I'm sure you get it all the time, uh, which is how to protect their own data uh, in this context of uh, AI. I think you and Greg have, have often talked about, you know, in a perfect world, you'd be able to train off of all the data in the world. And in fact, you wouldn't want it to be siloed to actually make this technology as smart and as great as ultimately have the potential that we all talk about for it to have. In a way, you'd want to have access to everything. But right now, you have a, a, a world where every business is looking to try to figure out how can they secure their data and to put it into these silos. And, and I'm curious if you could talk about uh, sort of those two ideas, which ultimately are at odds.
1: Look, the the way that, the way the world of developing new technology works is you have your beautiful idea in the vacuum about how you'd like things to go. And then you get the kind of cold, hard content with reality and whatever customers want, you have to figure out how to do uh, customers clearly want us not to train on their data, so we've changed our plans. We we will not do that. Um, we don't train on any API data at all. Uh, we haven't for a while, but now we've made it an official policy. And you know, there's plenty of other data to get out there. So yeah, I think we did have this dream of we'd be able to train on as much data as possible. That's not gonna happen. That's totally fine. Um, and we're developing new technology to need less data.
2: Do you think the data and, and content becomes more valuable over time or less valuable over time. Barry Diller, who's been a guest on this program many times, has talked about the idea of banding news organizations together, for example, uh, to sue, to to prevent uh, effectively the training on uh, their content, thinking that this could be sort of a revolution that would undermine uh, the news industry, which of course has uh, been challenged over the years before. But I'm sort of curious how you think about that. Because in a perfect world, it is something that you'd probably want to be able to train on, you know, the archive of The New York Times and NBC News and Time Magazine and People Magazine and all of it?
1: We don't want to train on anyone's data who doesn't want us to train on their data. A lot of people do, to be clear. Uh, A lot of people are like, please get this in the model. I want this represented. I want the model to know this. Um, So there's like a lot of people who reach out saying, please, please, please train on my data. But as you pointed out, plenty of people who say don't. And of course we will respect that. I think the way to understand these models is a reasoning engine first not a not a database not something that's meant to just memorize a bunch of people's data. So these models will have general purpose reasoning capability and then they'll be able to like go out and search for data on the internet or access it if you want or if everyone gives the right permission and if there's a business model that makes sense. So I I think the the picture of the future is just going to be a little bit different where we build these models on data that people are happy to train train on and then they can access out to other data when everybody wants the, you know, the user, the data owner, everything
2: there. It's a longer conversation, gentlemen, uh, but it's super important one. We hope we can continue it with both of you. Sam and John, want to thank you uh, for joining us. Wish you well with uh, this listening tour uh, or more than that uh, around the country and hope to see you guys soon. Thanks.
0: We'll be right back.
7: CEOs are in the business of making decisions, and it's the outcome of those decisions that define their success. Hi, I'm Sam Reese, CEO of Vistage. For more than 65 years, we've engaged with more than 100,000 executives on this twisting leadership journey that we call A Life of Climb. Join me on A Life of Climb podcast to hear firsthand stories from CEOs about the challenges they've overcome and the lessons they've learned along the way. Listen to A Life of Climb wherever you get your podcasts or at Vistage.com slash podcast.
0: That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening and stay tuned to your feed right here for special podcast coverage of the Berkshire Hathaway Annual Meeting. It's SquawkPod Pad Reports from Omaha. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross-Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the best of our TV show, plus a little extra like the Berkshire Hathaway highlights, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure your notifications are turned on so you never miss an episode. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend.
2: We are clear. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.
7: CEOs are in the business of making decisions, and it's the outcome of those decisions that define their success. Hi, I'm Sam Rae, CEO of Vistage. For more than 65 years, we've engaged with more than 100,000 executives on this twisting leadership journey that we call A Life of Climb. Join me on A Life of Climb podcast to hear firsthand stories from CEOs about the challenges they've overcome and the lessons they've learned along the way. Listen to A Life of Climb wherever you get your podcasts or at Vistage.com slash podcast.